Amen. Open your Bible with me, if you will, to 1 Corinthians number 13, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. The title of the message today is Something is Better Than Nothing. I'm reminded when I was uh, 16 years old, got my first official job. I'd had, uh, I'd had some side work mowing grass and things like that at younger ages, but I got my first official job at age 16, I was working for the local Publix. I got hired uh, at, at uh, one store to actually uh, train and then go and help, uh, help the team open a brand new store, a new section of town uh, where I grew up in Palm Bay, Florida. And uh, I remember at the time that the minimum wage was $5.25. And uh, that seemed like a lot back then. Um, and now, if you remember minimum wage being considerably lower than that. Let me see your hand. All right, now we just did an age test there. Um, and I remember that Publix started me out at $5.75 an hour. So I felt pretty good being able to come in at 50 cents, almost 10% more than minimum wage. All my other buddies that were working at the Winn-Dixie, they were making a minimum wage and I'm making 50 cents more an hour. And I'm thinking, man, this is, this is pretty good. As time went by, I got a raise at, at Publix and uh, every six months they give out raises. And, and then after a few years when I was in college, I got a different job and I was blessed to be able to make a little bit more than that. And then another job, make a little bit more than that. And another job, making a little bit more than that. Um, and, and now to the point where I look back and I think, well, $5.75 an hour doesn't even buy you lunch. And uh, that, that's kind of rough these days, you know, when you, when you look at where the dollar has gone. Um, but back then, something was better than nothing, wasn't it? Right? I mean, it's better to have the 575 than it is to have absolutely nothing. So where's our age test again? If you remember when minimum wage was less than $4, let me see your hand. All right, what about less than $3? Keep those hands up. Oh, man. How about, how about less than $250? We still got a few. Oh, my goodness, we still got a few. Less, how about this, less than $2? A dollar? All right, there we got rid of y'all. Oh, y'all, okay. Um, man, you know, and, and here's the thing. If, if minimum wage were still at $2, something would be better than nothing, although, honestly, that's not much better, is it? That wouldn't get you very far if you were if you were working hard for you know an eight or ten hour day and you brought home sixteen to twenty dollars total. Um, that would not buy dinner for your family that day. Um, and so you know we have this this expression: something is better than nothing. We closed off last week's message with that the end of chapter twelve with that phrase where Paul promises, "I show you a still more excellent way." And that word, more excellent way, um, is where we would get the, uh, the English word um, for hyperbole. That's what the, the Greek word is, and it has evolved over the years to, to um, mean now what we call hyperbole. But the idea is that it is separating two things in an extreme way, right? And so the reality is, yes, something is better than nothing, but let's be honest with ourselves those minimum wages from even when I was uh, 22 years ago now doesn't seem like much more than nothing. 
And then you go back 40 years and it seems even less like something and 60 years and you keep going back to the point where now what we see as wages is it's such an extreme separation, such an extreme hyperbole that what was in the past really does almost seem like nothing, doesn't it? The reality is, if somebody, if I, if I went to you today and said, well, I have a job at my house, uh, I've got some yard work that I'd like you to come do for me and uh, I'll pay you for it. And uh, you asked how much. And if I said, well, I'll give you a dollar an hour for working in my yard. Now, some of y'all are kind hearted enough. You'd say, well, if the preacher's that hard up, I'll go help him out. But most of y'all are not. You just laugh at me. And you'd say, well, that's nothing. And the truth of the matter is, it really is like nothing. So when we look at this concept of spiritual gifting that we've been studying, now Paul introduces the concept of using your gifting with love. And the contrast is this. If you're using your gifting without love, it literally is as if you're doing nothing. That's the, the extreme hyperbole that he's using here. When he says, I'm gonna show you a more excellent way, he's not just saying a good and a better and a best. The extreme nature of this contrast is as if using your gift and serving the Lord without love, it's as if it were nothing. In fact, he says just that in 1 Corinthians 13, verse one. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Now that's some extreme hyperbole, isn't it, church? His contrast here is if you are serving the Lord with any type of gifting, whether it's speaking with the tongue of men and angels or having the faith to literally look at a mountain and say, move. But if you do it without love, there's no profit. It's just a lot of noise that you make. Verse number four, love is patient. Love is kind and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. Does not become or does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own, is not provoked. Does not take into account a wrong suffered. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails, but if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. 
When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully just as I have been fully known. But now faith, hope, love abide these three. But the greatest of these is love. And so church, let's act, let's live, let's walk in Christ as if something really is better than nothing. As if, if you don't live your Christian life from an outpour and an overflow of first love, that's the love that God extended towards us through Jesus Christ. If you don't walk, live, and breathe in that kind of love, then it is as if you have nothing. Nothing in your life, nothing to live for, nothing that you are accomplishing, and no profit whatsoever. Let's truly live as if you have to have the love of Jesus Christ in your life. That's what this first love is all about. That's what we've been, that's what we've been, been focusing our energy on. That's what we've been pouring our hearts out into. That's what we've been asking God to do within our heart is to pour out uh, or, or rekindle within us a first love. And as we get really close to the end of this, this entire series about first love, next week really being the last week in it, let's not just make this another sermon series that we've heard, but let's truly grasp a hold of the concept of God so loved us that he gave Jesus Christ to be our savior. So that we can have life and have life more abundantly so that we could learn what it means to love and love others accordingly. So that as a church body, we could emulate the love of Christ here on this earth the same way that Jesus Christ did when he was on this earth in bodily form. Because we are the representation of Jesus Christ to this community, to this slice of our world, to this side of Georgia. We are the body of Christ. And if we cannot demonstrate the love of God to this world, then what profit is it? So this morning, let's look at three things about this love that we understand. The first one is this. I want you to know the conditional of love. The conditional of love. Here's the deal. Using a spiritual gift without love is meaningless. You say, wow, that's kind of strong, preacher. I know, when I read Paul's words about it, I thought so too. This is not coming from my lips. This is coming from the pen of Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God to write that, listen, if you are acting or serving in any way without love, there's no profit to it. It is nothing. And all you are doing is making a loud, clamoring noise. It's like a bunch of kids when they get a hold of the, the spoons and the pots and they make a banging noise. When my kids were toddlers, my wife would um, allow them to get into one kitchen cabinet that she, that she uh, left on the bottom there and uh, had a couple of pots in it and uh, I think a wooden spoon. They were allowed to get those out and to bang on them and that's how she taught them not to go into the other ones was by giving them one that they could get into. Well, let me tell you, 
that racket, that ain't no good after a while. It's a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. You understand what I'm saying? It's just clamor and noise and, and I don't care who you are, after a while, that's gonna get on your nerves. I don't know how she's still sane after going through several years of that. At least I get to drive off every morning and go to work and she's gotta put up with it. So it just becomes too much noise. It just becomes a clamor. When I was in high school, um, we had uh, the, the church that I attended and, and was a member of and grew up in, Palm Bay Baptist Church in Palm Bay, Florida. Um, we had some extremely lively music. We had a lot of fun singing and praising the Lord. And um, it was not unusual that some of the good folk would bring their tambourines and they'd wanna play their tambourines in church. Uh, we had the, the choir up in the loft in those days. And I remember at one point in time, um, we, had, uh, we had three folk that would bring their tambourines and play, um, and they would all play a different rhythm on the tambourine. Well, I mean, they were all really good, and the reality is they all played really good, and it sounded really good by themselves, but too much was too much. And so I remember thinking, well, this is, this is a little bit too much, and it just, all it sounds like is just a, a, a clamoring, a clanging. Um, and so, you know, the choir director had to go talk with him and make sure we got that sorted out and he got it fixed. And, uh, you know, it, it, worked, it worked pretty good after that. We can't have that kind of clamor in the world. And using your gift apart from your love for God accomplishes nothing. You understand me, church? It doesn't have any profit or effect for the kingdom. He uses three different explanations in those first three verses to describe this, all of them describing using a particular gift and then what the result would be if there's no love. And the reality is it doesn't matter if it's everything from the miraculous speaking of the tongues of angels to the incredible, mind-blowing feat of having the faith to move a mountain. If you're doing that, listen, he's not saying if you're trying to do that without love, he says if you're doing it, if you have that gift and you're using it, if somebody had the gift and the ability to, to literally, I mean, imagine the amount of faith it would take to look at a mountain and say, hey, mountain, go move over there. And the mountain just hops up, grows legs and walks and moves over there. And, and he says that, but there's no profit to it. And all three of these illustrations that he gives in verse one and verse two and verse three result in nothing. The one results in just a clamoring noise. The second one um, results in the person being nothing. I am nothing, he said. And then the third one says, it profits me nothing. There's no benefit either to the individual using the gift or to the body of Christ. We must use our gift with love. Let me equate it this way. Using your gift without love will be like going out to your vehicle after the service, turning the key and starting it and hearing the engine roar and, and pushing your foot down on the gas and listening to it and getting those RPMs all the way up to the red line without shifting it into gear. You're gonna make a lot of noise. You're gonna burn a lot of gas. You're gonna, you're gonna create energy, but you're not putting that energy to use. You see the difference? 
you are doing something. The engine is moving and working. Things are spinning. That there's no profit. It's just a clamoring noise. So the conditional of love is that you have to have it in order for your gifting to be properly used. We've talked a lot about gifting, church. And in gifting, we've said this, you must first understand and identify how you are gifted and then understand where your passion in ministry is. By the way, that can change over time. You might be passionate about one area of ministry now and change and have a different heart that God puts in you for a different type of ministry later. It's possible even that your gifting itself might change. I believe when Paul says earnestly desire the greater gifts, it's not just that you would desire to have something that could never happen or that God might never give you. I believe that the Holy Spirit gifts us and makes sure to evaluate that, to make sure that we're in the right place at the right time with the right gift for the right purpose. So church, understand your gifting, then understand your passion in ministry. What area of ministry or what thing within church life just really gets your heart stirred for the Lord? Because we want everybody in the building to be absolutely passionate about what they're doing. And then if you have a talent, we're gonna evaluate that talent and see what, what's your talent to do? What can you um, do or, or use or, or, uh, or, or, or uh, maybe play, you know? Uh, I was looking at um, the, the, uh, the, the music ministry and I was thinking, man, it'd be nice to have a bass guitar player, right? And uh, somebody out there got a bass guitar and an ability to play it, I don't know, maybe you need to talk to me after the service um, or run and hide. Fair enough, right? Um, but we wanna understand our gifting first, but none of that matters if you're not serving with love. That's the conditional behind all of it. Notice number two, not only the conditional of love, but the character of love, the character of love. You see, love transforms the character of the Christian into the character of Christ. You know, what's really interesting about that middle paragraph of this chapter. You could easily take those words and describe Jesus Christ with it. Isn't that fascinating? Jesus is kind. Jesus doesn't hold things against those that, that, uh, that uh, transgress against him. He forgives Jesus hopes all things, bears all things, endures all things, believes all things. All of those ideas and concepts describe the character of Christ towards us. So what's fascinating is the closer we align to the love, that first love, the more Christ-like we become in our life and our walk with Jesus Christ. And as we become more Christ-like, then collectively what happens? The body of Christ begins to really look more and more like the body of Christ. Isn't that fascinating? Isn't that a beautiful picture of how this works? And so the character of our love has to eventually become and transform into the character of Christ. Now, I want you to listen really close to me, church. You were not saved with this idea that you would be the same. 
You were saved to be transformed into the image of Christ. You were saved so that God could do a redeeming work in your life and sanctify you and set you apart for a holy purpose. You were saved for a reason, for a purpose, for a cause. And part of that cause is to transform you into something that you were not. It's to change the old man and take that out of you and put within you a new person that looks and walks and breathes and acts like Jesus Christ so that we could literally be the body of Christ on this earth. Look at those words and think about the way that we live our lives. Think about the way that we are and wonder, is this a self-evaluation that we take right now? Love is patient. Am I patient? Do I have the patience of Jesus Christ? Love is kind. How kind am I? I love the video of the little toddler girl where the mama's asking her all these questions. He says to her, uh, are you pretty? And she says, oh, yes. Are you a princess? Yes. Are, are you this? Yes. Are you that? Yes. She's asking her all these questions. And finally she gets to her, she says, are you kind? And the little girl goes, yeah. <gasps> Not really. <laughs> are you kind? Are you jealous? Do you brag and act arrogantly? Do we act unbecomingly for a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ? Or do we act as one that the world would see and see Christ in us? Do we seek our own benefit or do we live our lives for the Lord? Are we provoked to anger or to sin? Do we forgive others when they trespass against us? Do we rejoice only in righteousness and not in unrighteousness? Do we rejoice in the truth? Could you honestly say to yourself in a self-evaluation that you are able to bear all things, believe all things, hope all things, and endure all things? Because this is the mark of Jesus Christ in our lives. And this is how we are supposed to act and walk and behave and live in Christ. You see, this description here of what love is, is only possible because of how God demonstrated his love toward us. Because remember church, God is love. So there is the character of Christ. And then church, notice finally this morning, there's the completeness of Christ. The completeness of Christ. I love these final verses. They give some illustrations here. And then he wraps up that passage with, uh, now abides faith, hope, and love, but the greatest is love. The greatest is love. We take a look at those, those three concepts there, faith, hope, and love and begin to try to break them down and understand them. And what we come up with is these illustrations in verses 9, 10, and 11, and 12 all demonstrate to us the incompleteness of faith and hope at this point in time and the completeness of love. Let's take a look at those illustrations. He says this, For we know in part and we prophesy in part, 
But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. That prophecy, um, when you look at prophecy in the scripture, it's never a complete picture of things. In fact, at best, it's really like pinholes to be able to see a great big giant future. It's like pinholes to a veil to just see a little bits of light shining through and that's about it. Those, those pinholes reveal, they, they do, yes, they do reveal just little bits and they do show us just little bits of what is to come, but really we still only prophesy in part because we don't have a complete picture of the future. I'm gonna be honest, people ask all the time, they say, what, uh, Pastor, how are the end times gonna unfold and, and uh, what, what's the interpretation of Revelation and what's the interpretation of Daniel and what's, you know, what's the, the proper way to approach it? And uh, you look at it and I say, well, first of all, just understand that those prophecies in scripture that are yet unfulfilled, they do not give us a complete picture of the future. They only give us these, these pinholes. We see in part, we prophesy in part, the, the whole, it's gonna come. Trust me, it's coming. I, I was talking to somebody before the service and, and we were talking about, oh, listen, if God would come back, all the aches and pains would go away, right? And we'd get that perfect body in heaven and we'd be, whew, uh, it'd be a lot easier to, uh, as, as the song said earlier, to, to dance in the freedom of Christ, right? It sure would. Some of you are like, listen, preacher, I can't do the two-step anymore. I can barely get one step in. It's tough, and, and we look at it and we're like, man, if, if Christ would come, that'd be great because then we would see in whole and we would see the big picture as God has laid it out. And the questions, honestly, here's the thing. I don't know that the questions will be so much answered as they won't even matter anymore. That's what's so beautiful about heaven. What's so incredible about eternity and about glory with God in heaven is honestly, I think some of the questions are like, man, I'd love to ask God why on this one or how on this and figure these things out. Honestly, I don't even know. It's gonna be a while in heaven before we even get to the point of wanting to ask that stuff because I think we're just gonna be there in awe of him. And we're going to be just loving him and seeing him is gonna be seeing in whole and complete and all of it. And, and so much of this life is just gonna fade to the past. It's not even gonna matter anymore. That's what faith is. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For now we see in part. We see like through a dirty mirror, a dirty glass, not seeing the whole thing, as Paul says. That's faith. Faith is being able to trust that God is gonna take care of it, but it's still in part because we don't see the whole future. And then hope, hope is the same thing. Hope is an expectation of something in the future. He says, when I was a child, I spake like a child, I acted like a child, but when I became a man, I put away the childish things. And I think when, when you're a child, you have all the hopes and dreams and optimism of the world, don't you? I, I, I think the, the childish hope, such a beautiful thing. You look at kids and they're like, when I grow up, I'm gonna be an astronaut. And you're like, man, that's awesome. But no, you're not. <laughs> I mean, maybe one in a million, but no, you're not. Probably not gonna happen. And they're like, when, when I was a child, I wanted to grow up and I wanted to be a famous athlete. And you're like, yeah, probably not gonna happen. No, not gonna, not gonna get there. They said, when I grow up, 
I'm never gonna have to worry about money again. I'm gonna make so much money. We're all like, no, probably not. <laughs> and so you have all those hopes and all those aspirations and all those dreams. But it's still a hope until it materializes. And our hope in Christ is a firm foundation. It's a sure thing. It's a rock that you can stand on and you can put all your eggs in that basket. And one day it will materialize, let me tell you. One day, it's gonna happen. Your hope in Jesus Christ will become sight. You'll be able to see, you'll be able to touch, you'll be able to feel, you'll be there. And when that hope and that faith materializes, that, that in part will become whole. You can put away all that. But one thing that makes love greater is the fact that it matures us and completes us now. It's the fact that Christ's love is sure and solid and perfect in our lives today. And our faith we haven't seen it yet. And our hope, it hasn't materialized yet. Lord, I tell you what, I hope that when we get to heaven, not only do I have a, that, that perfect body and get rid of these bad uh, discs in my back and, and the nerve pinching in my neck and all of those things, I also hope that God will Give me a decent singing voice. Man, that'd be nice. Yeah. And uh, now some of y'all amen a little too loud. I hope that was for you and not for me. I don't know. Amen, amen. I hope I, I get a good, decent singing voice. But one thing that you can know now and that can complete you now in your life, before you get to heaven, you don't have to wait for it, is knowing and realizing the love of God in your life today. God's love is real. It is lasting. It was completed on the cross. And you can put your trust in it. Now look at this concept of love for us. And it matures us from an immature child to a mature Christian in Christ who will bear great fruit for him, for his kingdom. We look at this, this concept of love. At church, why is this such a, an important thing? Because without it, we have nothing. But with it, we are complete and need nothing. Do you believe that? Without the love of God in our lives, we have nothing. But with his love, we become complete and lack nothing. The truth of the matter is this. What drives us is the love of God towards us. And we've been looking at this subject and talking it to death and first love, first love, first love. And so the question then is, are you walking in first love? Are you living in first love? 
here's the example. Paul said, I still will show you a more excellent way. The neat thing about that word, more excellent, as I said earlier, it comes from that, that Greek word that is transliterated into English to mean hyperbole. It wasn't exactly this, that same meaning back in Greek, but the concept is it's showing a contrast between two things, not even necessarily opposite things. I think what's fascinating is Paul's the only writer in the New Testament that uses that word. And the majority of the times he uses, I believe it's in seven different passages he uses it. The majority of those are in first or second Corinthians. So he's speaking to this Corinthian church that had so many things just messed up in their church. And he's describing to them, listen, you're here, but we can get you more excellent. And, and, and what's fascinating is this, as he explains this, there are some times where he describes things that are actually opposites with this word hyperbole. Sometimes he's describing the difference between sin and righteousness, but then sometimes he's just describing the things we would say, well, that's just the difference between good and better, right? But the truth is with this word and understanding what it means in the excellent way, even when he's in a situation where he's describing what's good and what's better, He's using this word to put such a far stretch between the two of them that even the good and better become opposites. What does that mean for us? In this passage here, this more excellent way, what this means and what this demonstrates to us is that there is no comparison to a life without the love of Jesus Christ. There's no uh, uh, good, good and better between the life with and the life without Jesus Christ. There is only death and life. And if you don't have the love of Jesus Christ in your life, there is nothing but death. It's not a good life. It's a wasted life and it amounts to nothing and it profits nothing. There's only life in the love of Jesus Christ. And then for the Christian, He's describing the separation between the Christian who is walking in the love of Christ and demonstrating love towards others and living in that love and living in the first and the great and the second commandment where you love God with all your heart and you love your neighbor as yourself. He's describing that and he's putting a separation away from the love of the Christian or the life of the Christian who lives without love towards God and love towards others. It's such polar opposites that the two cannot even be compared. It's such a hyperbole to get it in people's heads that there is no life in Christ apart from the love of Jesus Christ. If you have not love, it's nothing. And so church, We've begged you, we've pleaded with you. Many of you have taken up the call. Many of you have come and talked with me and, and talked with others. And we, we've assigned some of you to, to the guys on our leadership team. And, and we're, we're all communicating with people. All of us have some. We, we've got room for more to talk with you about making sure that you are living and serving in your first love. That you're using the gifting that God has given you to serve him because that is a life fulfilled in Christ. And so church, two questions to close the message today. The first one is this. If you're a, a, a Christian, a member of this church, or maybe not a member, but you're considering it and, and, and you're wanting to get connected, this first question is for you. 
Are you in your first love for Christ? We're winding up this series and we'll move on to the next series, but the the concept doesn't change. The passion doesn't change. The, The need for love in your life does not change. Are you living in first love for Jesus Christ? If you're not, beg you, don't live another day outside of that. Let me tell you, the joy that comes in Christ is unsurpassed. It's a more excellent way. And we can say with all the hyperbole in the world, there is no comparison to having the love of God and serving him in it. Let me tell you, you need to wake up every day and I love what God has done in my life. And I love being able to share that with others. And so church, I implore you and beg you, walk and live and serve and worship in your first love. I don't need to remind you, we've got plenty of needs for people to serve. I've mentioned a lot of them from the pulpit here in the last several weeks. We need some more musicians here. We need some more tech people there. We need some more children's workers. We need some more uh, volunteers in, in a variety of ministries all across the campus and all across our community. But then not only that, we've got ministry needs that are unfulfilled that we, we don't even have. I, I would love to have a hospitality ministry for our church. We don't even have one yet, but we will. And so we're, we, we need everybody to get their hands on deck. Let's get to it. But don't, please, 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 don't serve out of necessity. Serve out of a heart for the Lord Jesus Christ and see what happens. Because people get burned out when they're just serving out of necessity. When they're just filling a hole on a ministry volunteer list. You get burned out, you get overwhelmed, you get run down. But please, please, I beg you, serve out of your first love. And if you need to make a change, please, please come talk to me. We will figure out a way to transition you from one ministry gifting to another, from one passion to another, whatever it takes, we'll figure it out. You say, well, I'm worried that somebody else won't fill my seat. And here's what I wanna tell you. If you're serving in a place outside of your gifting, listen to me closely. There's two negative repercussions to that. The first one is this. There's a place where you should be serving that is empty because of your unwillingness to move. And the second is this. There is somebody who has a gifting to do what you're currently doing that you're not gifted for. There's somebody else that needs to be serving there and you are taking their place and holding them back from serving where they ought to be. Let's have some faith, trust the process. God is doing a work in our lives. So the first question for the Christians in the room, are you serving in your first love? Are you worshiping in your first love? Do you come into the church and the body of Christ with passion and love and joy and a smile in your heart? If you're happy and you know it, amen. Clap your hands, stomp your feet. And by the way, the preacher gave you permission to do it. 
All right. But then second is this. Do you even have the love of God in your life? Do you even have the love of God in your life? Because I'm afraid that sitting in church on a Sunday morning does not get you into heaven. Serving in a ministry in church does not get you into heaven. Church membership does not get you into heaven. A baptism without repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ does not get you into heaven. The only thing that gets you into heaven is when you are born again. First time of the water, but the second time of the Spirit. The only thing that gets you into heaven is when you discover and taste for yourself the love of God through Jesus Christ. I'm excited, church. It's September 3rd, right? In just a month, my birthday comes around. Not my regular birthday, but my rebirth day. On October 8th, all the way back in the, uh, not even the late 1900s, or even earlier than that. On October 8th in 1989, I was reborn in Jesus Christ. It's the greatest day in the history of my whole life. When I got married, that didn't usurp getting reborn. When my first and then my second, my third, my fourth children were born, that wasn't greater days than the day that Jesus Christ saved my soul. But I'm afraid that so many walk around in the church, they do a lot of good things, but they've never accepted Jesus Christ as their savior. They've never experienced and known and tasted the love of Jesus Christ. Make today the day you do that. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If you're able, would you stand with me? With hearts turned towards the Father, the plea of our heart is to overflow us with love. The plea of our heart is to be filled with that joy in Jesus Christ and know and experience the fullness of the abundant life in Christ. We're not talking about having all your earthly dreams fulfilled or talking about getting great riches or great fame in this world. We're talking about being transformed on the inside. We're talking about finding the true meaning of life. We're talking about finding true life. That can only be found in Christ. So church, as the invitation is given today, let's walk in love so that we can be profitable for our King. And if you're out here today, you've never tasted of the love of Jesus Christ. If you're bold enough, if you're brave enough, would you come forward this morning? I'll be standing right here in the center and just simply say, Pastor, I need to be saved. That's it. We'll sit down and share with you the plan of salvation, how God sent his son to be the savior of the world. And your life can be transformed too. Oh, Heavenly Father, 
We thank you today for meeting with us in this place. We thank you, God, for giving us love. We thank you for demonstrating your love while we were still sinners. By sending your very son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins. We thank you, God, for completing within us the life that we so easily ruined and destroyed with our sin. We thank you, God, for taking these broken vessels that we are and remaking us in Jesus Christ. And so, Lord God, we pray that you would help us to walk in love. Help us to serve in love. Help us to be the complete body of Christ that you designed us to be so that we can go out off of this Beulah mountainside here and go shine the light into the valley around us and share Jesus Christ and his salvation with all that would listen so that he can be glorified on this earth as he is in heaven. We thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. God's spoken to you this morning. Don't hesitate just a moment. The invitation given, the altar's open. God speaks. Please listen to him. Let's sing together.